electronic specifier. Techies, watch out. Passion for Technology is your podcast if you want to meet other technology enthusiasts and get inspired. Tune in now. Fantastic. So, hello and welcome back to Electronic Specifier Insights. And today I'm pleased to be joined by Mike Engelhart, who is the creator of QSpice. Um, so thanks very much for joining us, Mike. How, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome this morning. I appreciate your, uh, your interest in QSpice. You're welcome. We're glad to have you here. So obviously, you know, you're the developer responsible for LT Spice, which is quite likely the most widely used Spice compatible simulator in the free software domain. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background? Well, my educational background was physics, but when I was involved with physics groups, my job was basically to make the electronics for physics experiments that you couldn't buy. That's what I did. And that's how I learned electronics. I've always had an interest in simulators and I've been writing simulators for quite a while. My very first simulator was written in 1975 for actually nuclear particle interaction. But uh, most of the simulators I've written were for, well, charged particle optics. Well, actually, most of them were for electronics. But I've also written some highly successful simulators for charged particle optics and oil exploration. Fantastic. And obviously, you know, the new generation of SPICE is here now. Corvo recently announced the release of QSPICE, which is a new generation of, of circuit simulation software. So as the creator, why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Well, SPICE is a pretty complicated code. Even if you have had the um, benefit of being told by someone from the original Berkeley CAD group what it's doing, you really need to be told why it was written the way it was because the code is honestly intractable. It, it makes no sense in the way they wrote it. So unless you knew why they wrote it the way they did, it's hard to move forward with the code. I've had that very valuable experience. And when you get in, if you try to take the Berkeley Spice code and turn it into a viable, ready to use simulator, you end up having to, basically you need to rewrite most of it because it's so old, a modern C compiler won't compile it anymore. And C is a little difficult for a large piece of numerical code because it doesn't, you know, you're almost painting with assembly language. You're not really getting the sort of error checking that you would appreciate from a, from a true high level language. So QSpice is all C++ and it does use the um, original Berkeley Spice devices, but most have been rewritten. There's a lot of discontinuities in the IV curves of devices that you need to eliminate. They don't make much difference from an application circuit point of view because it's when the device is in a completely impractical condition. So these, these aren't an application circuit problem, but it's a big simulation problem because if, you, if the IV curves are discontinuous when it's off in this impossible state, you can't iterate to the correct solution. So what I really wanted to do with QSpice is for once in my life, just get Spice right, you know, fix all these things, make it so it actually works right. You know, whatever time I have left in my professional career, I wanted to once get it right. That was my personal goal. I was convinced that I could do it. So that's how it started. And however, I did this always in affiliation with various IC manufacturers. So the first phase was associated with a concern making ASICs and a company, a concern is an old, old word for a company, a, a, a company making ASICs. And so QSpice acquired ASIC quality gates and flops. 
you know, it would internally, you know, gate swaps, multiplexers, demultiplexers, some math functions, they converters. Internally, it was pure logic, but the pins would look like transistors. So you could put together library parts of IP in an ASIC and mock up an ASIC, and it would simulate very fast, and it would be completely as accurate as anything you could get. So that was how it started. So it got, you know, then besides the fact that it did the, the brute transistor level stuff better than I've seen ever before, it could handle a good level of mixed mode simulation that would actually, you know, breathe and feel like real devices underneath. Then I dealt with another company and I made um, about 50 controller models. And that really, you know, driving the simulator and the CAD, you know, graphic side that hard making all these uh, models. These were much more complicated models than I'd ever authored before. And in, that really got the program robust. It really got it uh, more robust than most PC software you see out there. It, you know, I don't think anyone has had QSpice crash on them. Not a, not a single person has seen a, a crash. Then um, with Corvo, the, the story really completes because we, we added the capability to truly add massive amounts of digital logic. You know, you can draw a symbol, type in some code, and QSpice includes optimizing compilers that will reduce your code to native Intel object code and run it at native execution speed. So we've literally made a tool where the digital part of your simulator actually evaluates faster than the hardware would. And so you can present an, an arbitrarily, you know, essentially an arbitrarily large amount of digital logic to your SPICE simulation. That's what it does. And it's, it's done it, you know, so that anyone can use it. I'm forging new C++ and Verilog writers. You know, they, people can draw a symbol in this simple GUI. They can type in some C code, you know, press run, and it just compiles it and runs the whole thing. So we're, we're forging new hardware description language authors and C++ authors for their, to complement their SPICE program. So that's... That's all really good. I'm pleased with that contribution. So if you had to, to sum it up then, what would you say is QSpice's overall benefit for power designers? Well, the benefit of QSpice is the same as it is for any simulator. The most important thing that a simulator can do for a designer is develop their intuition. That's the most important thing. I mean, you can bring a circuit up in a simulator and work on it, you can get, you can develop more intuition about that circuit than you can on the bench with an oscilloscope, simply because the board is surface mount, it's hard to work on, it's hard to, you know, you can't measure, you can simulation, you can look at currents and voltages that you can't see on a board, at least not very conveniently without perturbing this, uh, the circuit very well. Basically what's happened is, the reason why SPICE was originally written was for designing integrated circuits. It's very hard to, cut and trace and microprobe and rewrote traces in an integrated circuit after you've made the thing. And with uh, surface mount, the, you, you have a similar situation. It's very inconvenient to reroute traces in a surface mount board because the traces are buried inside someplace. So with a simulator, you can look at what's happening much, much easier and, and faster, and you can understand what the circuit is doing. You can't get that from the hardware. And what about, you know, the advancements we're seeing at the minute with AI and machine learning? How specifically does QSpice support designers in that area? Well, right now, the, you know, the QSpice, because it can handle all that digital logic, you know, we can, we can program I squared C and have them try different registers and learn the optimum uh, operating point. Machine, you know, the circuit itself can learn its own operating point. That's fairly simple, but basically because a thing runs 
on a, uh, a native Intel object code. If you have some piece of AI that you think a, a circuit needs, you can just compile it and link it to the simulator. It's no problem. And the development process, which I understand was, was what, around three and a half years. What, what did you learn during that time? I learned a lot. Okay, so I, I had this mission. It was a personal mission that I wanted to take off to get Spice right. And it really required that I go back all to the original codes and not look at the corner I had painted Spice into. So there were two things I learned. On the, on the technical side, there were very significant advances made. You know, because I, I don't think anyone has looked at the Berkeley Spice code and start refractoring it so it runs it with, on a modern compiler. I don't think anyone has done that starting from the position of being extremely familiar with the code in the first place. I don't think that's happened before. And because I did that, I was able to, from inspection, find bugs I had never noticed before. In the sparse matrix package, I found four bugs that <clears throat> prevent the thing from work, uh, working on large circuits. But if you just refactor the code and get it running, get it to compile and try some circuits, you'll never see these bugs because you've made it so it will compile. And so, okay, you have a large circuit, doesn't work. People kind of accept that it doesn't work on a large circuit. But, you know, you could never find these bugs unless you single step through millions and millions and millions of opcodes to find it. But from, from inspection, if you're familiar with the code, you can find it. So from a technical point of view, it was very valuable. It made a much cleaner, much conciser set of equations that runs and much easier to maintain because it's all, you know, properly documented now. From a human level, and, and forgive me for getting so personal about this. It was a very interesting experience because, and I, I didn't expect this to happen. When I would work on a function or work on, a, you know, work on a, a fragment of code or passage of, of spice code, I would remember 25 years ago what I had for lunch, what my cats were doing, what time of day it was, wh which position I was sitting in. Was I doing this, you know, at home? Was I doing this in the office? So every day, that I would work on QSpice, you know, at the, at the very first, you know, first few months of it, it was like I'd relive a week of my life from 25 years ago. And I just, you know, yeah, this is a little maybe overly impersonal, but it was just an enthralling experience. I just can't, you know, I, I can't describe it. I don't know how else you could, I don't know, it was a unique thing, so. Well, I know you've said before that QSpice is the simulation tool suite that you would have written 25 years ago if you knew then what you know now. So tell us a bit more about, about that thought process. You know, what, what would have helped you 25 years ago that, that you know now? Well, I have to be a little careful here. I, 25 years ago, I went from nothing to a schematic capture, spice program and waveform viewer that people would use. And I did that in uh, maybe 10 months period. Well, I probably did things I'm not really proud of. So I wanted to not do that this time. You know, uh, spice programs, you know, everybody, everything's like close enough is good enough. So there's things I didn't have to do that I'm not happy about. That's sort of a self-evident true thing. And that's as close as I can get along those lines. But the more specifically, are the things that I already mentioned, I completely redid all the IV curves. So they were all continuous. But what I haven't yet mentioned is the time step control. All circuit simulators need to change the time step or they just take too long. You know, sometimes you need, you know, 10 picosecond time steps, so you need 10 millisecond time steps. So you can't, you can't 
step through 10 milliseconds within 10 milli, uh, picosecond time steps. You have to change this time step size and you have to know when is what time step size you can use. And I completely re-architected the method that it does for time steps, time steps control. So that's probably one of the biggest things I could, uh, I did. And they, um, and re-architecting that time step control is what enabled, you know, an unprecedented, uh, performance level in mixed mode simulation. And what, what sort of feedback have, have you had so far from users? Well, people are delighted. I mean, the thing, thing is palpably faster and more robust than anything I've done before. And it's fantastically more capable. And the GUI is rendered, you know, with, with modern technology, with a, a graphics, a, a, a GPU. So it's all dithered graphics. You'll never see a, you'll never see a pixel. It doesn't look like you're programming. It doesn't look like you're simulating in some 1970s Pong game. You know, it's all, it's all desktop publishing waveforms and, and CAD stuff. All the CAD objects are all um, desktop publishing quality. The, um, you know, if you, if you draw an inductor, the coil is a native graphical element and it just looks like a coil instead of looking like some arcs piecewise together that have sharp corners in them. It just looks very nice. And you have, you know, complete user control over line widths and colors and line types, you know, and it, it hasn't crashed in deployment yet. I suppose the big question is, have you achieved the personal mission that you set out? Is, is QSpice everything that you hoped it would be? Well, I have to be careful here. Yes, it's been more successful than I imagined because I started out of just trying to get Spice right. However, it uh, became much more than that because of interaction with, well, Corvo. Uh, however, I'm still aggressively developing the uh, internals. I'm still making sure that all the features work in all combinations to give the user a square operating area. You know, it, it, it has a lot of features, but sometimes, oh, I never tried this and combined with that. It doesn't work in that corner of the feature set. You know, I'm, so those, those things to fix, there is, I'm adding, like right now, I'm adding a, a native delay element so that uh, normally I had not put a delay element in it before because people overuse delays. I wanted, you know, people should use rise times followed by a threshold. You know, the delay element will actually store a waveform, which is not what's intended. But I, I found a way of storing the waveform with no particular compute overhead over a RC circuit. So, you know, that'll go out, you know, today or tomorrow. I'm adding new things to it all the time. Basically, if I'm awake, I'm working on QSpice. And I expect that to be the mode of operation indefinitely. So tell us then, how can a designer get started with QSpice? So it's, it's free to use, but what system requirements do they need? It's written for Windows 11. However, if you have a 64-bit version of Windows 10, that should work flawlessly. The reason for the um, Windows 10 minimum requirement is that that's when Windows required a GPU. Okay, you, would, you couldn't run Windows without a GPU. It could be an internal one, but you had to have one. And um, that is the, um, uh, that's where the requirement comes from. You know, it doesn't use .NET or any of that. It, it's written in C++. It's not written in, a, uh, in C Sharp. Fantastic. Okay, so moving away from QSpice for a moment, you know, you've had a near 50-year career in, in simulation software. So what changes have you seen in, in power in that time and, and how have designers had to adapt? I think that the biggest changes in power are the fact you have better controllers and you have better transistors. The controllers 
are much smarter today. They have a lot more digital logic in them. They can handle, okay, you still have a situation where you, your high side switch is still N polarity, you know, and N polarity, N, N, N polarity are better than P polarity, whether it's a bipolar or a MOSFET, and they're, the, they're better for the same reason. Electromobility is higher than whole mobility. So N polarity is probably always gonna be the better switch for as long as we're made of matter and not antimatter. But keeping an N polarity switch means having a voltage above the input voltage. So it has to make its own higher voltage to fully enhance the channel or to enable the bipolar, should one come to the horror of using bipolar transistors, your high side switch. But anyway, keeping that voltage, you know, the bootstrap capacitor is now done very intelligently. You know, it's monitored. The power supply knows whether or not it needs to refresh the charge on that. It may include a charge pump to just let you keep that high voltage there running all the time or it will, um, it will actually uh, cycle the bottom switch a few times to charge up the, the top, you know, the, the refresh cap before it even turns the thing on. They have, they're much smarter on uh, keeping the refresh charge on a boost capacitor. They also have much smarter slope compensation, which is a, a, a something that you need in, a, in peak current mode. If you have fixed frequency peak current mode control, you have to add the slope compensation hack in order to prevent the pulses from bunching up into, you know, two short, you know, uh, two pulses together, then it's quiet, two pulses together. That slope compensation impacts the loop response, and that loop response varies wildly depending on the oper on, on the duty cycle, unless you have a very smart slope compensation. Then you can use, you know, you have a, a, a loop, a, a feedback loop that has less personality, and you can close the feedback loop without regard to the, um, the operating point of the power supply. So that's a significant improvement. Just so the controllers are a lot better. And then of course the transistors, we have wide band gap stuff. If you want a 1700 volt transistor, get one from Mauser, it's no, it, no thing. And what about you know technological advancements that, that you've seen impact the power industry? You know, I've already mentioned AI, I'm sure the internet of things is, is up there, but, but which technological advancements have you seen have, have the most impact? I think that really comes down to the transistors. You know, the the better the better transistors that you can that you can get, the better switches you have. And the um, I tend not well, yeah. You could call the increased digital in controllers. Uh, it, people call that technology. That's all fine, and um, and that's all. And those controllers are so much smarter today than they used to be. But those are the, you know, I would say those are the technical advances that have changed my life and power the most. And there's there's new there's new control algorithms. You know, there's constant I'm kind controllers that are also constant frequency. So you have no error amplifier, no personality or feedback loop. It just always does exactly the right thing, and it's constant frequency. You know, and that's just a very smart controller. And and what about the near future? You know, the next five to ten years. How do you see the industry evolving? Okay, to predict the future, I just look at the most basic fundamentals as possible. You know, you can't try to look at the initial conditions and then integrate the differential equations to see where it's going. That's, that's probably not a winning strategy for predicting the future. So just looking at the most rudimentary, simplest, inescapable fundamentals, then I'm drawn to the fact that plastic is cheaper than metal. And that means that wires will get smaller and voltages will get higher so you can transfer the same power using less metal, but more plastic as dielectric insulator. So I think, I think voltages will increase. And then that's, you know, that gives a future to silicon carbide, which is kind of the king of high voltage. But that's, 
Yeah, that's as far as I can. That's as far as my thought process goes with the, the future. I have enough things in my myopic current interest now to deal with. Brilliant. So before we wrap up, then, Mike, is there anything else that that you'd like to discuss? Anything that I may have missed? Oh, I didn't tell you. You asked what platform you needed for QSpice. You need Windows uh, 10, 64-bit, or Windows 11. And then there's a vanity URL that's easy to remember, www.qspice.com, and that will navigate you into the right place in the Corvo site so you can initiate a download of QSpice. So I guess that's, uh, that's all I can think of. Yeah, no, brilliant. We'll make sure our listeners head over there. So thank you very much for your time and for your insights. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. All right, it was great to meet you. I really appreciate your interest too. You have an awesome evening over there. Discover the latest semiconductor technology trends in EBV Electronics' Passion for Technology podcast, available on all podcasting platforms. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Electronic Specifier Insights. Don't forget to subscribe to the series to keep up to date with our newest guests, and do share with fellow colleagues, friends, and family who may be interested in the latest news from the electronics industry. Electronic Specifier.